Chapter 7 All Terry and the others could do at first was stare in shock at the motorcycles. The riders were dressed in leather jackets and pants, and their faces were completely covered with shiny black helmets. Oh, wow! Someone yelled over the thunderous noise. Rad! Really rad! Ricky shouted, his idea of a funny comment. The whole crazy scene reminded Terry of the movie Animal House, which he and Nicky had rented a few weeks before. That movie had a guy riding a motorcycle up and down the stairs. Was this another of Justine's surprises, Terry wondered, enjoying the crazy, chaotic scene. With a final roar, the two bikers cut their machines. The sudden quiet was almost deafening. The bigger of the two riders removed his helmet and got off the bike. With a sinking feeling, Terry saw that it was Bobby McCory. Bobby's eyes were bloodshot, and he had a nasty expression on his face. Nice party, he said sarcastically. Yeah, agreed Marty Danforth, the other rider. He twirled his helmet in his hands as he checked out the room. Great place you got here. Too bad we had to knock so loud. For some reason, the door was locked, Bobby added. It's almost like you didn't want us in. Justine stepped forward, her face a mask of fury. Get out of here, she said in an icy voice. Get out, said Bobby. We just got here. I told you you weren't invited, Justine said. She didn't sound frightened at all, Terry noticed, but was so angry her voice was shaking. Yeah, well, we told you we don't like to be left out of things, Bobby said forcing a tough guy sneer in his face. Now Philip stepped quickly to the center of the room. Who are these young men? he asked Justine. Two clowns from the high school, Justine said. They're not on the list. Philip approached Bobby and Marty. He had an expression on his face like a teacher who was disappointed with his class. Terry could see that Philip didn't realize how mean Bobby and Marty could be. If you leave right now, said Philip, I won't call the police. Hear that? Marty asked Bobby, his sneer frozen in place like a bad Elvis imitator. He won't call the police, both boys laughed. Don't do us any favors, man, said Bobby, and he shoved Philip hard in the chest. With a gasp, Philip fell backward and banged into a table. Uncle Philip, cried Justine in horror. Several of the kids rushed to Philip's aid. Nikki, her dark eyes wide with fright, ran to Terry, gripping his hand. Sorry about that, it was an accident, Bobby said, slurring his words. He stumbled over a floorboard, and Terry realized he'd been drinking. By now, the other kids were recovering from the shock of the biker's entrance. Go home, several shouted. Get out of here, you creeps. Bobby and Marty ignored the others. Nice place you got here, said Bobby. Kind of looks like your place, huh, Marty? They both laughed as if Bobby had just made a hilarious joke. Why don't we help him out a little and clear away some of the cobwebs, said Marty. He unhooked a chain from his belt and, with a flick of his wrist, swung it at the cutouts over the fireplace. Instantly, they fell to the floor in tatters. Terry stared in disbelief. Why didn't someone do something? Now Marty started to wreck the other decorations by the window. Terry couldn't stand it anymore. Hey, man, don't do that, he said. He took a step toward Marty, but Bobby moved faster. Terry felt his head jerk back as if he'd just been hit by a truck. The next thing he knew, he was on his back, with Nikki's face, very close and frightened looking, gazing down at him. He tried to sit up, but Nikki pushed him back down. Don't try to move, she whispered. Uh-oh, the skinny guy tripped, Bobby said, grinning. He stared at the others menacingly. Hope nobody else trips. Or anything, Marty laughed. They slapped each other high fives with their black-gloved hands. These guys sure know how to have a good time, thought Terry. Whatever they'd been drinking or smoking had made them think they were hilarious. Justine stepped forward again. She was still angry, but Terry saw that now she was also frightened. All right, guys, she said, so I made a mistake. I was wrong not to invite you to the party. But everything was planned for the nine people who were already here. If you'll just leave now, I promise I'll have a special party just for you next week. Hey, that's okay, said Bobby. We're having a great time. Don't sweat it. 
He walked over to the food. Ricky, Angela, and Trisha, who had been standing there, quickly edged away. Bobby took a big bite of one of the hors d'oeuvres and spat it out. Yuck, he bellowed. What is this stuff? It tastes like fish. He turned angrily to Justine. Haven't you got any real food here? Chips? Pizza? There's plenty of pizza on the shelf over there, said Justine. Take what you want and... What about drinks? interrupted Marty. All I see here is kid stuff. He turned to Philip, who was sitting on a low stool, looking sick. Where do you keep the wine coolers, man? Marty asked. I don't drink, said Philip curtly. I never keep alcohol in the house. I don't believe you, said Marty. What kind of host are you? My friend and I are thirsty. He grabbed Philip Lye's lapels. Stop it! Alex's sudden yell stopped Marty for a moment. Like a silver streak, Alex crossed the room and grabbed Marty, pulling him away from Philip. Marty bellowed in rage. Alex's triumph was short-lived. A moment later, Bobby grabbed Alex from behind, then held on to him while Marty kicked him hard in the stomach. Oh! With a gasp of pain, Alex fell to the floor and lay curled in a ball, gasping for breath. Oh man, another accident, said Bob, stepping over Alex. While the guests looked on helplessly, Bobby and Marty began to ransack the beautiful old living room, opening doors and cabinets and throwing everything they found onto the floor. Whenever anyone made a move to stop them, Bobby twirled his chain menacingly. They found a bottle of red wine somewhere and began trading it back and forth. This has got to stop, Terry told himself. They may be tough, but we've got them outnumbered. Across the room, David caught his eye and nodded in the direction of the cycles. Terry nodded back and slowly got up and began to inch toward the machines. Casually, he picked up a heavy candlestick from an end table. Nikki looked at him, her eyes wide with fright. It's okay, he mouthed soundlessly. Bobby and Marty were so busy eating and ransacking the room that they didn't notice Terry and David on their bikes, until the air filled with the sound of the engines revving up. Hey! Both Bobby and Marty forgot what they were doing and left for the bikes. Leave those alone! But Terry and David were ready for them. Just as the two bikers reached the motorcycles, Terry and David jumped off the seats. Bobby and Marty died for the two boys, but came up with nothing but air. With a bellow of rage, Marty stood up and swung his chain at Terry. Terry caught the end of it with a candlestick. He pulled and Marty cried out in anger and pain as the chain twisted out of his hand. Meanwhile, David and Bobby were fighting, rolling over and over on the floor. Bobby was a dirty fighter, but he was half drunk and David was quicker. He had Bobby down and was pounding his face, causing blood to spurt out over both of them. With another blow, he stunned Bobby, then stood up, satisfied. Marty had forgotten about his chain and advanced on Terry threateningly, wildly swinging his fist at him. Terry kept ducking and moving backward, searching for an opening, a way to stop him. From the corner of his eye, he saw David suddenly mount Marty's bike, turn it around, and gun it out the front door. He jumped off at the last minute. Hey Marty, David called. Your bike's going home without you. Marty looked around in horror, then turned and ran out after his runaway bike. A second later, there was a sickening crash. How about we do the same thing to your bike, Terry said to Bobby, who was just struggling up from the floor. Without a word, Bobby threw a leg over his bike, his face a bloody mess. Tough guys, huh? Bobby sneered. He glared at Terry first, and then David with such hatred that Terry felt his stomach turn over. You're dead meat, man. You're history. Both of you. He looked around the room slowly, menacingly. Later, he said. With a final threatening look, he gunned the motorcycle and rode out the mansion and into the night. Chapter 8 The smell of motorcycle exhaust hung in the air. Several kids began congratulating Terry and David on getting rid of the two bikers, but their thanks were subdued. Everyone seemed to be in shock. Nice going, Murphy said. We did what we had to, said David, wiping his bloody face with a tissue. Maybe they'll go pick on someone else for a while. Justine, where's your phone, said Terry. We've got to report this to the police. Panic and alarm crossed Justine's face. No, no police. 
But they broke into your house, said David. They vandalized it, and you heard their threats. That's all they were, just threats, Justine said. She moved closer to David, put a hand on his arm, and stared directly into his face. Those boys are bullies, she said. All swagger and no substance. They wouldn't dare come back after the way you and Terry faced them down. Well, I don't know, said David uncertainly. Really? Everything's fine now, said Justine. A few of the decorations are ruined, but so what? What's important is that no one was really hurt. Alex? Terry? Are you all right? Fine, muttered Alex. I'm okay, said Terry. His cheek hurt where Bobby had punched him, and he suspected there would be a big bruise, but no real harm had been done. Thank you, all of you, for being so brave, Justine said, turning her smile up to full wattage. A look of mischief crossed her face, and then she added, Now, are you brave enough for the next surprise? You mean, we're just going to keep going as if nothing happened? said Angela. Well, I hope so, said Justine. If we stop now, Bobby and Marty will have won. Besides, she added, her lovely face turning pouty, I've worked so hard planning everything. We haven't even had half the surprises yet. We also haven't settled things between the jocks and the wimps, added Murphy Carter. Of course, if you wimps want to concede defeat now... No way, said Ricky. We're just as game as you guys, and for your information, our team has a few more tricks up its sleeve. Good, said Justine. Then it's settled. Why don't you all relax for a while? I'll bring out some more food, and then in a few minutes, we can start the treasure hunt. She disappeared in the direction of the kitchen. Terry was starting to get his second wind and wondered what Justine's next surprise could be. He sneaked a glance at Alex, who was leaning against the wall beside the fireplace, fully recovered from his injury. Alex caught his eye and shrugged. Then he mouthed one word, wimp. Terry knew he had to stay on his toes. Alex was still into this dumb contest. That meant Terry had to be too. No way Alex was going to win, after everything that had happened. Justine and Philip brought out trays with hot apple cider and cookies, and soon everyone was relaxed and in a party mood again. The tape machine was playing Golden Oldies from the 50s, and Trisha and Ricky began dancing too, at the hop. Trisha was smiling and seemed happy again. I love these old songs, Angela said, clapping in time to the music. She leaned back against the corner of the stone fireplace, then gave off a little shriek as it shifted and opened. Where the solid stones had been was a human skeleton, its hollow face grinning mindlessly. There were several screams and then the sound of laughter as everyone realized it was another surprise. I see you've discovered one of her trap doors, Justine said with her smile. One of them, said Angela. You mean there are more? Remember, said Justine, I promised a lot of surprises. Rad, Angela said. How you doing, funny face? Terry turned to Nikki, who was leaning back against the cushions on the sofa beside him, sipping cider. Okay, she said. How are you? She gently touched his cheek where Bobby had hit him. I'm okay, he said. I just hope Bobby and Marty don't. He was cut off by a surprised shriek. What is that? protested Angela, her face twisted in disgust. Human brain, said Ricky, who was standing in front of her, innocently holding a dark metal box. Get real, said Alex. Where did you get a human brain? From my uncle, said Ricky, still innocent. He runs a medical supply house. He let me borrow it for the party. Angela looked as if she was going to be sick. Let me see that, Murphy said. I can't take it out. We'd ruin it, said Ricky, holding the box tighter. Of course, if you want to touch it. Alex defiantly thrust his hand into the box then just as quickly pulled it out with a strangled cry. Sort of slimy, isn't it? said Ricky smugly. Anyone else want to try? Sure, said David. He walked up to Ricky, pretended to put his hand in the box, but grabbed it instead and turned it upside down. The contents slithered out, landing on the stone hearth with a sickening plop. Some brain, said David. Looks like cold spaghetti to me. Gotcha! No, I gotcha first, said Ricky. Angela and Alex both thought it was brains. No, we didn't, protested Alex. 
We were just putting you on. This is one for the jock team. The argument about whose gotcha it was stopped when Justine rang a little bell. May I have your attention? She was standing in front of the fire, and outlined in light it was almost possible to believe she was a vampire. To one side of the fireplace, her Uncle Philip sat slouched on a stool, the artificial tears sparkling on his sad clown's face. Is everyone back in the groove, ready to party? Justine asked. Without waiting for an answer, she went on. It's time for the next surprise. This one is a treasure hunt, but it's not like any treasure hunt you've ever heard of. A treasure hunt, exclaimed Trisha. What fun! Get real, said Murphy. Treasure hunts are for little kids and wimps. Justine, still smiling, turned to Murphy. You might not think so when you see the list of items, she said teasingly. But, of course, no one has to participate. In fact, it could be a little dangerous. This treasure hunt is only for those who are really brave. Hey, I never said I wouldn't participate, said Murphy. Good, said Justine, her cat green eyes sparkling with excitement. She began passing out a photocopy list. This is a list of the items Uncle Philip and I have hidden around the mansion, she went on. There are treasures in every room, on both floors, and in the attic and basement. Whichever team finds the most treasures by midnight will win a special prize. Everyone grabbed the lists and prepared to rush off, but Justine's voice stopped them. One more thing, she added. Please be careful. After all, anything can happen on Halloween. Trisha found the first treasure before anyone had even left the living room. While Justine was still explaining the rules, Trisha carefully removed the food still sitting on the casket and opened it to reveal a bundle of bones wrapped in tattered blue cloth, the hand bones of a mummy. It's a treasure, she cried, but Justine, is this really from a mummy? Supposedly, said Justine, we picked it up in Egypt. For the next few minutes, everyone checked out the ground floor. There were constant shrieks and laughter as one person after another discovered a new treasure or a trick. This is great, isn't it? said David, laughing, as he and Terry simultaneously walked into the pantry from opposite doors. I can't believe all this weird stuff Justine and her uncle have, Terry said. He showed David the only treasure he'd found so far, a hairy tarantula preserved in a glass paperweight. I found this in a toilet tank. I found my treasure in a terrarium, David said, showing Terry a stuffed cobra. At first I thought it was alive because it was moving around, but then I saw it was attached to an electric motor. I'm not even sure I want to find some of this stuff, Terry said, scanning his list. A bottle of blood? Murphy already found that, David said. He was prowling around in the front hall and tripped over a loose floorboard. The bottle was right under it. Catch you later, Terry said. David was a good guy, he realized. Too bad the other jocks weren't more like him. The thought of the jocks made him think of Alex, which made him think of Nikki, and he wondered where she was in this big spooky house. Maybe he'd run into her. Nikki looked at the list half-heartedly. Even though this was the greatest party she'd ever been to, she wasn't that interested in fun and games. The party still seemed like a mystery to her. Nothing added up. The treasure hunt, she decided, was the perfect chance to explore the mansion freely. She replayed in her mind the conversation she had lip-read when Justine was in the phone booth, and had now decided that it didn't have anything to do with the party. After all, Justine seemed only to care about her guests having a good time, and despite her weird uncle, she was really sweet. But there was still something intriguing about her, and Nikki was determined to find out what it was. She would have felt a little guilty about searching the house, but the treasure hunt gave her the perfect excuse. It wasn't even snooping, not really. She was working her way through the rooms on the top floor. So far, none of them contained anything of interest to her. She entered a large bedroom at the back of the house and switched on the light. She jumped back, her heart pounding, as a huge glowing head dropped in front of her. After a second, she realized it was just another one of Justine's surprises. She switched the light off again, and the head was pulled back up to the ceiling on an automatic reel. 
After a little searching, she found a lamp and clicked it on, then smiled in satisfaction. From the perfume bottles and cosmetics on the antique vanity and the beautiful ruffled pink satin bedspread, she realized she must be in Justine's room. You can tell a lot about a person by examining her bedroom, Nikki thought. For example, take her own bedroom. Her sewing stuff and the fashion cutouts on the bulletin board showed her interest in fashion design. Her collection of stuffed dogs showed that she loved animals and hoped someday to raise them. And her rock posters showed just the sort of music she preferred. But, she realized, standing in the middle of Justine's room, this room didn't say much about Justine at all. There are no stuffed animals, no pictures of movie actors or rock stars, no hint of a hobby, nothing personal at all, except for the picture of a smiling man and woman from the 50s in an ornate frame on the vanity. Justine's school books were stacked on top of the radiator, but there was nothing in the room that could be used as a desk. Strange, Nikki thought. Justine must not take school very seriously. But then, she reminded herself, after all the places she's lived, Shadyside must seem like very small potatoes. She opened each of the drawers in a chest, but there wasn't much in them besides a few folded pairs of underpants and some sweaters. Her curiosity piqued even more by what she hadn't found. Nikki opened the closet door and was shocked to find it almost empty, except for the school clothes she'd seen Justine in. Where were her jeans, sweatshirts, sneakers? What did she wear after school? Didn't she have any party dresses? She took her flashlight, shone it around the closet, then saw a faint, square-shaped crack at the back. She remembered the trap door in the fireplace and wondered if this was another one. Excited, she stepped to the back of the closet and began to press around the crack with her fingertips. Nothing happened. Frowning, Nikki stared at the door, then began to feel around the empty closet shelves. Her finger touched a small knob and she turned it. The back of the closet swung open, revealing another, larger closet. Nikki gasped in surprise. This hidden closet was jammed with clothing, but clothing very different from the everyday clothes she had seen. At first, she thought they might be very old clothes left by the people who had lived in the camera mansion before. But when she took a few off the hangers, she saw that they were new, many of them with labels from expensive designers in famous department stores in New York, San Francisco, and Paris. They were beautiful woolen suits, shiny satin cocktail dresses, colorful skirts and jackets in sophisticated styles that no one she knew would wear. A chrome rack on the floor held dozens of beautiful high-heeled shoes in every type of leather and every color of the rainbow. The back of the closet revealed three beautiful, full-length formal gowns and two fur coats, one mink and one fox. Nikki couldn't believe her eyes. This was the most beautiful wardrobe she'd ever seen. Were all these clothes Justine's? But when would she wear them, and why were they hidden away like this? Maybe, she decided, they were Justine's mother's clothes. But nobody really knew if Justine had a mother or not. Maybe there was another, older woman who lived here. Philip's girlfriend or wife, maybe? But in that case, why did Justine have so few clothes of her own? It's a real mystery, Nikki thought. She loved mysteries. A small bureau stood against one side of the closet, and Nikki opened its drawers to reveal pastel negligees, nightgowns, and silk underwear. In the bottom drawer was a carefully wrapped package. She opened it, not even considering that someone might catch her snooping, and was shocked to see a framed photo of Justine and a man with their arms around each other, gazing lovingly into each other's eyes. But the man was much older, from the streaks of gray in his hair, at least forty. Was Justine having an affair with an older man? Was that why she never went out with the boys from school or never went to any of the games? Nikki carefully put everything back just the way she'd found it, then closed the secret door. She was about to leave Justine's room when her eye caught the bathroom door. She went in and, with only a small pang of conscience, opened the medicine chest. It was filled with typical medicine cabinet things. Toothpaste, mouthwash, several bottles of nail polish and other cosmetics, aspirin, and a box of band-aids. There were three prescription bottles on the top shelf. Nikki took them down one by one. She didn't recognize the names of any of the medications, except the sleeping pill her mother sometimes used. 
but all three prescriptions were made out to Enid Cameron. Enid, Nikki thought. Who's Enid? Philip's wife? But no matter how many explanations she considered, the one that kept popping into her mind was that Justine was somehow leading a double life. During the day, she went to school like any other teenager, but at night and on weekends, she had a whole other life that no one even knew anything about. But why? And why keep it all such a secret? Maybe, Nikki thought, she was just letting her imagination run away from her. Maybe there was a logical explanation for everything she had seen. She needed to talk to Terry, she realized. If anyone could figure this puzzle out, it was him. Now all she had to do was find him, somewhere in the mansion. Terry was really enjoying the treasure hunt. So far, in addition to the tarantula, he'd found three of the items on the list. A polished monkey skull that had been hidden inside a laundry hamper, a crystal ball, and his latest acquisition, an ivory pendant in the shape of a dagger. He found the pendant when he opened a cupboard and was scared out of his wits by what appeared to be a bloody, disembodied head, what turned out, on closer inspection, to be the head of a mannequin, covered with ketchup. After he got over his fright, Terry found the pendant around the mannequin's neck. He laughed and added it to the rest of his loot. He heard a couple of other treasure hunters coming his way. They remembered that Justine said her Uncle Philip was preparing some surprises in the attic. He searched and found a narrow staircase leading upstairs. Mounting the dark, creaky stairs to the attic, his heart thudded with anticipation and a little thrill of fear. What treasures would he find up there? What scares? This was definitely the best party he'd ever been to. The attic was small and dusty, and filled with old boxes and trunks. Terry realized from the thick layer of dust on the boxes and trunks that they had been sealed up long ago. He switched on the overhead light and spotted a closet door, a perfect place to hide items on the list, he thought. Grinning to himself, Terry pulled open the door, then stopped and stared in shock. No! Oh, please, no! The room went white. Terry's breath caught in his throat. He gripped the closet door to hold himself up and stared into the shadowy cubicle. Alex? He cried. Alex? Hanging from a rope was a limp body of the Silver Prince, his neck bent at an impossible angle. Sticky red blood was splattered over the front of the beautiful costume. It puddled onto the closet floor. Drip. 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 Chapter 9 It's another trick, Terry told himself. Please, oh please, let it be another trick. But the silver costume was real, and the blood continued to drip as he watched. Drip. 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 A steady rhythm he knew he'd remember for the rest of his life. He was still staring at the bent form of his friend, trying to get the strength to go for someone, when he heard a voice behind him. What you got? Oh, no! It was David, horror on his face. I just found him, Terry said, his voice and hand shaking. Maybe it's another trick. I don't think so, said David. Don't touch him. I'll go for help. I'm coming with you. Terry didn't want to spend another second with Alex's corpse. On the way to the stairs, they ran into Ricky, Trisha, and Les. Quickly, David told them what Terry had found. We've got to call an ambulance, said Trisha. Maybe he's only hurt. It's more than that, said David. You didn't see him, his neck, all the blood. Terry shuddered, remembering the ruined costume. He had had his problems with Alex, sure, but no one deserved to have something so terrible happen to him. At least call the police, said Les. First, let's tell Justine and her uncle what happened, said David. They'll know what to do. Justine and her uncle were sitting in front of the fireplace, talking together in low tones. When the frightening guests burst into the living room and explained what had happened, Justine jumped up at once, concern radiating from her lovely face. You call the police, Philip told Justine. I'll see what the situation is. Wait, Uncle Philip, said Justine. No police, yet. Philip nodded, and together with the others, they ran up the two flights of stairs to the attic. It's in here, said Terry, leading the others to the closet. 
He braced himself for what he knew he was going to see and pulled open the door. There is nothing at all inside the closet. I don't believe this, he cried. Where is he? asked David at the same moment. Very funny, said Trisha. For your information, Terry, you're not supposed to pull tricks on members of your own team. It's not a trick, Terry protested. I saw him. We both did. He was here, David added, and blood was dripping. He bent down and touched the closet floor. It's dry, he said, sounding astonished. I guess I'm not the only one who prepares surprises, said Justine with a little smile. Come on, Uncle Philip, let's go back downstairs. The others were about to follow them when Nicky came into the room. Has anyone seen Terry? she asked. Then she spotted him. What's going on? What are all of you doing in here? Quickly, the others explained what had happened. So we get up here, Les finished, and there's not only no body, the closet's completely empty. Obviously, they made the whole thing up. Did you make it up? Nikki asked Terry, her dark eyes searching his face. No, Terry repeated. I saw the body. It was real. I don't know where it is now, but it was here. Come to think of it, said Ricky, starting to sound worried. I haven't seen Alex for quite a while. Has anyone? Maybe you just thought you saw something, said Nikki. There are a lot of shadows in here. What we saw was real, said David. It was Alex. Then, if he was, like you say, we've got to find him, said Nikki. Come on, Terry. Let's look in the rest of the rooms. No one felt like searching alone, so the six of them, Terry, Nikki, Les, David, Ricky, and Trisha, carefully checked behind the boxes in the attic, then crept down the stairs and began to go through the rooms on the second floor. This is Justine's room, said Nikki, opening the door. Maybe he just... She broke off with a shriek. The others crowded close behind. Lying on Justine's bed was a silver prince. But as soon as they got near, it became clear it wasn't Alex. Ricky approached the bed first. Hey, he said. This is just... A dummy, Terry finished for him. The object lying on the bed was Alex's silver costume, stuffed full of rags. The blood Terry and David had seen was streamers of red cellophane that had moved slightly to resemble dripping. In that light, it was hard for Terry to believe he had been fooled so badly. It had been so real that he had even imagined the sound of the blood dripping onto the floor. What an idiot he had been! Gotcha! Alex jumped out of the bathroom, dressed in a blue robe, laughing so hard he could hardly breathe. Are you all right? Nikki asked wide-eyed. He's fine, said Terry in disgust. His voice was shaking again, but not from fear, from anger. That was a rotten trick, he told Alex. We thought something had really happened to you. I'm touched by your concern, said Alex with a pleased smirk. Nice work, David. It did look pretty real, David said, also smirking. You mean you were in on it? Terry asked David, furious. Sure he was, said Alex. How else could we convince you wimps to waste all that time searching for my body while you were running around trying to find the Silver Prince? The rest of the jock team finished the treasure hunt. Too bad, guys. You lose again. Nikki turned to Alex, angry now herself. That was really mean, Alex, she said. I never thought you could do something so rotten. For a moment, Alex looked hurt, then he smirked again. Hey, he said. Don't you know all's fair in love, and Halloween tricks? Besides, Nikki, he added, I gave you plenty of chances to join the winning team. Come on, Terry, said Nikki, grabbing his hand. Let's go back to the party. Why don't you all clear out, said Alex. I've got to change back into my costume, so my team can collect the prize for the treasure hunt. As they walked back down to the living room, Terry's head was swimming. He liked surprises, but Alex's little trick had left him shaken. I guess I still care about Alex, Terry thought. Otherwise, I would have been able to think more clearly when I discovered that dummy in his costume hanging in the closet. In the living room, Murphy and Angela were dancing in a dim glow from the electric candles. 
The treasures were piled up on a table by the fireplace. Want some punch? Terry asked Nikki. Sounds great, she said. I'll save you a seat. I need to talk to you. Terry brought two cups of punch and then settled in the love seat next to Nikki. She was every bit as beautiful as she had been at the beginning of the evening, but her dark eyes were now narrowed with concern. Still upset about what Alex did? Terry asked her. Not really, said Nikki. It's something else. Remember when I told you what I saw Justine saying the other day? Terry stopped her in surprise. You don't still think she's up to something, he said. Justine's the only person at the party who hasn't done anything weird. Let me tell you what I found, Nikki went on, and tell me what you think. While you were on the treasure hunt, I went into Justine's room. You were snooping in her room? She didn't say any part of the house was off limits, Nikki reminded him. Besides, I was curious. Terry, she doesn't have any of the normal high school stuff in her room. Well, why should she, said Terry. She only moved here a few months ago. Besides, she's lived all over the world. She's probably more interested in the stuff she got in her travels than pennants or school colors. She doesn't have things from her travels either, said Nikki. Her room is practically bare, except for one thing. She told Terry about the hidden closet and the clothes she'd found there, along with a picture of Justine and the older man. Right, said Terry. Well, there's a simple explanation. Justine's a CIA agent and the guy's a Russian spy. Will you be serious, said Nikki, but she was laughing too. Look, I know it sounds crazy, but nothing I found in Justine's room makes any sense. And I also found some prescription bottles made out to Enid Cameron. That's her CIA name, said Terry. And that's why she's having the party. She's going to ask everyone on the guest list to be a spy. Maybe you're not so far off, said Nikki. Terry, I really think Justine leads some sort of double life. Well, maybe she does, said Terry. But so what? If you're really that bugged about it, ask her. She's a very nice girl. And I'm sure she wouldn't want anybody to be suspicious of... He broke off as Justine rang her bell again. The dinging came from overhead, and all eyes turned to see Justine standing at the railing on the balcony above the living room, a gold foil-covered box on the table next to her. It's time to award the prize for the treasure hunt, she said, and I'm so happy it was such a success, even if... She paused and smiled mischievously. There is a surprise or two even I hadn't planned. Most of the kids applauded and cheered, and Justine made a small bow. The prize is special chocolates from Paris, she said. Who would like to accept them for the winning team? I will, said Alex. He was back in costume, and handsome as ever, as he slowly walked up the stairs to meet Justine. Perfect, she said breathily. Golden chocolates for a silver prince. She bent down to pick up the gold box, then staggered slightly and caught herself against the banister. Before she could hand the chocolates to Alex, the railing suddenly gave way, and with a blood-curdling scream, Justine fell forward and plunged to the floor below.